there's definitely a request that people or a person with cybersecurity is appointed to a board so that they can ask those difficult questions if and when a company is hacked or there's a data breach at that company. They want someone within who is representing at board level rather than the third parties who will come in and help with some of the messaging and some of the PR around these events. You're listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Joining me today is Lena Smart, Chief Information Security Officer for MongoDB. And today, we're discussing building a cybersecurity program. So, Lena, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here to really pick your brain, understand some of the things that you've had in your career experiences. So, I want to start with exactly with your experience as being a CISO and your approach towards building a cybersecurity program. So thank you for having me, Carissa. It's fun to be talking to someone on the other side of the world. As you can gather from my accent, I'm not from America, even though I do live here. So very pleased to be speaking with you today. In terms of my experience, I've been at MongoDB for about three and a half years. I've worked in the security industry for more years than, gosh, than I care to mention, over 20 anyway. And I think where we are at the moment as an industry, I would have thought we would have been maybe in a better place than we are now. I thought my job would have been easier by now, and it's not. But that's fine, because I really enjoy what I'm doing. But in terms of where we are with MongoDB and its security program, I think we've reached the maturity level now where I'm comfortable sharing what we've been doing, because I'm sure that it can help other people who are either in my job or looking to do my job. Yeah, most definitely. That's why I wanted to bring you on the show today as well. But you mentioned something that you thought you'd be in a better place. What do you mean by that when you say that, Lena? So I was talking to one of our founders. His name is Dwight Merriman. I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago. And I said to him, did you think we would be in the same place like 10 years ago? What what did you think the internet would be like 10 10 years from now? And he just kind of looked at me and he said, I just thought things would be better, would be easier. And I I tend to agree with him. I would have thought we would have made more inroads into some of the basics of security, like passwords, for example. But I think a lot of it is wrapped around learning and training and just the general security culture of a firm. And I think that's where I'm really pleased that you want to talk about something as fundamental as building a security team, because that can make or break your entire program. And so what I mean by I thought things would have been easier, I just thought we would have made more inroads into the basics in some ways of security hygiene, if you like. And I think we are getting there. It's just that the bad guys are becoming even more sophisticated and the attacks are becoming more sophisticated. Spear phishing, business specified attacks for via email or via texting, smishing and phishing and all that. Definitely keeps me on my toes. And there's plenty of tools out there that can help. But I think basically you have to have a good security culture and a really good qualified and trained team behind you. Yeah, interesting observation, actually. So when you say we would have made more inroads, do you think it's maybe just because of how fast we advance technology and it's hard for security to keep up sometimes? 
you think there's a little bit of that in there? I think so, yeah. So how, as a leader, with your experience, as you mentioned before, you've got over 20 years, do you think it's going to get easier though? Do you think the next time I speak to you, you'll say, hey, we're actually in a better place? Or do you think that perhaps it, we may not be? Do you think that a gap's getting larger? Or what's your sort of hypothesis uh, moving forward? So being a Scot, I'm generally pessimistic, but I'll put on my optimistic hat today. I think that in general, we will be in a better place. We can't really keep going this road of doom and gloom and that, that's just depressing anyway. But I think we need to understand that security can't just be left to the security team. And I think that's what's happened just because people are busy doing their own jobs. I looked at your history and you come from a cybersecurity background. So you know what I'm talking about. Generally, people who are not living in this world, they don't really understand the risks and all the bad things that can happen until, unfortunately, it happens to them. If they're hacked or they lose their banking information because someone stole their credentials, and then it hits home really hard. But until then, it's just something they've read about or it happened to somebody that they knew. I think as people are having an understanding now that Everyone is responsible for cybersecurity, not just the CISO and and their team. I think things will start to get better because collectively we can solve problems better than we can individually. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think if you've been following sort of the press here, we've had a lot of major data breaches here, the most I've ever seen in my lifetime. And recent telco is the largest breach in Australia. So Mm. hopefully now people are starting to, as you mentioned before, Lena, it's everyone's responsibility. I'd like to sort of maybe talk about your approach to building a cybersecurity program because in theory, it does sound easy in inverted commas, but it's not so easy in practice. So maybe would you be able to sort of explain a little bit more about what you've done over the years, what you've done at MongoDB specifically, and what sort of your advice for people that are listening to the show today to help them progress that along? So I've been extremely fortunate and I have been the first CISO at the last three companies that I worked for, which is rare. Because you're generally, you're coming in to fill someone else's shoes and there's assumptions and preconceived ideas and Jim always used to do it like this, why are you not doing it like that? So for me to be able to come into, when I worked in the power industry, I was the first CISO at the power company I worked for. When I moved to fintech, I was the first CISO at that fintech company. And then I was extremely lucky uh, to be asked to join MongoDB and be their first CISO. And MongoDB, when I joined, there was a really strong security program already in place. There just wasn't that one throat to choke, as they like to say over here. There wasn't that one person that was responsible for security that the board could talk to or our customers could talk to or our internal people could talk to and just have that feeling of comfort that somebody with experience is in charge of security now. So when I started at MongoDB, and cast my eye across the horizon and saw extremely talented people who work here, I, I started to build the team from folks who were internal, who already were, they were doing a security type role. It just wasn't that, that wasn't their full-time job to the people who were here full-time doing security. And so I had a kind of mix of people who were doing it part-time, people doing it full-time. And then of course I had the freedom to build this team from the ground up with external resources as well. And so we've grown from uh, my initial team of two people who reported directly to me to a team of almost 60 people at six zero within about three years. 
And that includes uh, governance risk and compliance as well. So it's not just security because they go hand in hand. But in terms of where we are with the security team itself, as I said, there was already a really robust security program in place. I just had to put the policies and the procedures and some of the people around that just to flesh it out. So I've been incredibly lucky and incredibly grateful to be given this opportunity. Wow. So you've basically been the first CISO in three of the companies. Mm -hmm. You made a really interesting comment around throat to choke. Would you say that CISOs are that throat a lot of the time? For security, that's what I think. That's one of my roles. At the end of the day, if there's a security event, whether I am responsible or my team is responsible or the guy who wrote the code is responsible, doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it's on my watch. It's my job to make sure that MongoDB and our customer data is held as securely as it possibly can be. And I will be the person that will be wheeled out in front of the national press to explain what happened. And I understand that. I know that as part of my role. Yeah. So this is where it gets interesting. So I have another question for you on this front. So you make a great point and you're absolutely right. Did you say hypothetically, you've got a CFO who's a senior person and I don't know, by accident, they paid someone's invoice wrong or whatever it may be. Do you think that a CFO, for example, has the same impact or throat to choke as perhaps a CISO would get, someone like yourself? Do you think that the approach towards something's gone wrong is even, is evenly weighted or do you think that perhaps CISOs get a little bit more pressure there? I think because the CISO role is almost a new role, it's not really that old. It's maybe, and I hate to say this, I don't know, don't quote me but what the date is, but the first CISO or CISO really only came about maybe 15 years ago, whereas we've had CFOs for hundreds of years, at least tens of years. And I think because the role is new, and to be honest, a lot of people think cybersecurity in itself is a new art form, even though it's, it has been around for a wee while. I think that just now, CISOs are the people who are getting pointed to when something goes wrong with security because that's in their job title. They are the information security officer. It's my job to keep the information secure. That's in my job. And so do you think, Lena, then over time, going back to the start of the interview, that we will be in a better place and that size of like yourself, that maybe the pressure on people's throats may ease over time? Because I do hear what you're saying. It is relatively a new role. We're still maturing as, a, as an industry. And do you think that over time, that perhaps people will get more used to having a CISO and understanding more about cybersecurity? So perhaps that pressure will ease. I, I think so. And I think also, and we're seeing this in some of the states, in the US anyway, where people are actually requesting that somebody with cybersecurity experience is on their board. So we're seeing the position elevated now to where you're required to have a lawyer, for example, as your head counsel and an accountant as your CFO. You're, some of these states are now requesting, I don't know that it's law, but there's definitely a request that people or a person with cybersecurity is appointed to a board so that they can ask those difficult questions if and when a company is hacked or there's a data breach at that company. They want someone within who's representing the company, who's representing at board level the company that's being attacked rather than the third parties, the mandiums of the world who will come in and help help with some of the 
messaging and some of the PR around these events, I think people are more comfortable when they have the expert from the board talk on these events and that person would be talking to me as CISO. And I think people will become more comfortable with it. There's the saying that if you've not, if you're a company that's not been hacked, you will be hacked. I think people expect now bad things to happen just because it's so prevalent out there. Yeah, that is a very, very interesting, very interesting point. And I think that this leads me to my next question, because as you've mentioned a few times, obviously, the size of a new role, security is maybe not in our eyes new, but to other people, it's a little bit more foreign. Mm. So do you think that means that people feel overwhelmed if they don't have like a current program in place because... They've got a lot of other things that people are talking to them about. They're trying to keep their head above the water, keep the lights on. Where can people start to make sense of this chaos? So that's a brilliant question. It's something that I get asked quite a lot. So I I enjoy this question because there's a saying, how do you eat an elephant one chunk at a time? So it's like, how do you tackle security at a company? And the way that I tackled it, at my previous two companies and at MongoDB being the first CISO, I, I looked on it as the a house analogy. So I buy a house and I fill it full of all my stuff. And what's the stuff that I want to protect first? It's the stuff that's most valuable to me. So if I work for a technical company, a tech company, a data platform company like MongoDB, the first thing that I did was I talked to the people in charge, the C-suite and the leaders of the business units. And I said, what is your most important assets? Employees aside, because obviously people are a most important asset, but employees aside, what is the most important thing that you need to protect as a company? And if I went to the finance person, they would say, well, we're financial right. And if I go to our head of cloud engineering, she would say, customer data, people with access to customer data, making sure that we have that tabulated. And so different people have different ideas of what's valuable to them. And I have to sift through that. And then with both a risk lens and a security lens, explain to the people, here's how I'm going to rank where I think we are in terms of security, in terms of risk. And then that's the first things that I'm going to tackle. And the way that I can rank these things quite quickly is by applying a security framework to it. So we're lucky in the U.S., to have the NIST cybersecurity framework. I don't know if you have something similar in Australia, but I'm sure, you know, as you're members of Five Eyes, there's the sharing mechanism is in place. You can download all the framework stuff for free anyway from NIST. And having that framework in place actually gives me a very quick picture of where are the jewels, where are the crown jewels, who looks after them, and what do we need to put in place to make them even more secure? And then we can step back from that once we've secured the most important stuff in the house, if you like. We've put locks on the doors and we've got bars on the windows and dogs at the front door. And now what else do we need to do? Well, we need to train people who are com- coming in and out of the house as to what they can do, what they can say, what they can see, who they can talk to, et cetera, et cetera, when it comes to data. And so always having the house analogy in the back of my mind, it's easy to explain how I'm going to tackle security. I'm going to build a house. We're going to put data in the house and information arrives, and then we're going to secure the house as much as we can. And people understand that analogy. They get that. 
in order for the house to remain secure. Everyone has to be aware of what's in it and how we're securing it. So I've got a couple of questions. Now, you may you raised a great point around, and you're absolutely right, different C-suite, things are going to be more valuable to them because of different areas and fair enough. But how do you manage that politically? Because David's going to want to say something else. Bernadette's going to care about this. And then Susan and Harry will chime in on something else. How do you manage all that? Because everyone's going to say, our stuff's the most important, Lena. How do we, our stuff needs to be prioritized first. How do you handle that conversation at your level as a leader? That's a brilliant question. And of course, it was one of the first things that I had to tackle when I started. All of these companies, it, it can be a political minefield. But the question you have to ask yourself is, will my company be in business if X happens? So if we lose our financial systems, there's a good chance that we'll still get paid because that's a third party that manages that for us. So that should be okay. If our billing system is down, unless it's down for an inordinate amount of time, i.e. days or weeks, then our business will be able to meander through till we fix what's going on. If our HR systems are down, not being hacked, if they're just down and inaccessible, the company will still run. If our customer data is breached and is spread out over the internet, along with all of our root and admin passwords, our business could pretty much be over because that information is so crucial to our customers. And if we have no customers, we have no business. So I always focus it back to if the loss of this, if the loss of X, Y, or Z means that our customers are going to be affected, which in turn means our bottom line, our business is going to be affected, then is that the most important thing for me to protect today? And the answer would always be yes. The same as a hospital is there to look after people who are sick. We are a data platform. We are there to look after our customers' data to the best of our abilities. Yeah, that's a very good and great way of like pro- from a, I guess, a systematic way of approaching it. A couple of questions more on that. For example, do you have to then manage it? For example, David cares about this, but you've gone, no, David, like, Susan's priority is more important because of X, Y, Z. So you then are really upward managing and you are becoming like a key personnel to manage all of your stakeholders. Do you think that perhaps people in security historically haven't done well at that before? Because as we know, historically, security people have usually gone into IT or security because they like technology, which probably meant that, oh, I don't have to speak to people as much. But in your role, that's basically your whole job is managing personalities and politics and people's requests. Do you find that sometimes a little bit overwhelming? Yeah, because as you pointed out, most people in security, we do this so that we don't have to talk to human beings. (laughs) We can hide behind computers. I really enjoy, I'm loving talking to you. This is fun and and probably a bit of a rarity. I wouldn't say that I am in any way an extrovert. I am definitely an introvert, but I love to share information and I love to teach. I used to be a computer trainer many years ago and I loved watching people learn something new, computing that they'd never done before. I used to train like welders who had worked in shipyards for years and They needed to learn something new and just to watch their faces when they created their first document or logged into their first computer, that was just amazing to me. And I think this job definitely has grown from the person that sits in the closed room setting up the firewall and just saying no to everything 
to being this diplomat. I'm, I've turned into this diplomat who basically the way that I dealt with assigning risk to these different security issues was I basically took people into a room and said, we are going to create a risk heat map and we're going to see whether it's a high risk, low impact or high likelihood, high impact, high low, the usual heat map when it comes to security risk. I said, and we're going to map out as a business where we think our highest risks are and where we think the likelihood is going to be that something bad will happen and we'll give it a score. And if it's over a certain amount, it'll be a red. And if it's medium, it'll be amber. And if it's tolerable, it'll be green. And then we go through the different aspects of risk. Are we going to accept it? Are we going to mitigate against it? Are we going to ensure against it? Are we going to ignore it? And just really focusing people and being in some ways prescriptive with what you want to do with the risk makes other people more likely to listen to what you have to say. I don't know what your experience has been in terms of security, but mine has been a lot of folks just, they don't want me to spoon feed them, but they just want to be told, this is the best thing for the company. This is the most secure thing that we could possibly do. Here's what I'm doing to help you get there. Do you have any questions? And if people are just heard, I think that goes a long way rather than, and I'm sure you've seen this, the kind of dictatorial type CISO who's just, I am... I'm the security person and I'm telling you what to do and it's for your own good. That's never been my style. Most definitely. I've had the same experience that you have. I used to write board reports when I was working in a bank and that's when I had an appreciation for the narrative, the story, communicating and sharing insights about the security practice and how we can leverage that to get more money, to drive more influence. So would you say, you've made some really great points here, the whole interview you have, but you said that absolutely people in security have tried to avoid human beings. Would you say that this is probably where a lot of the dislodgement has come from? Because when you're talking to human beings, people act irrational. They you can't configure humans like we can configure machines, for example. So maybe that humans do things that don't make sense to a security person, which makes it really harder to handle. And then as a result of trying to handle someone that doesn't make sense, things just go by the wayside or there's more drama or people don't see why do I? Do you think that because of the nature, again, this is very stereotypical, this is not everyone, it just has mm. made it a lot harder because of the people that have been in his security historically or that they are now, they're maybe just not as equipped to handling people because they have, as I said, historically sat in the corner and figuring firewall and that type of stuff you mentioned before. Do you think there's a lot of that in there? I think there used to be. What I did to overcome that, especially at MongoDB, was instead of me trying to find all these amazing extrovert security people, which is an oxymoron, why not look into the company, look into MongoDB and see who has an interest in security, but it's not their full-time job. It's somebody who, for example, is a tech writer or works in a communications department but they've got an interest in cybersecurity. And so what I did, and this was just before the pandemic, we started what's known as the Security Champions Program. And I started that I had this at my last two places as well. And it was, it's been most successful here, I'll be honest. I think I was too early in my iterations the last time. But we now have over 100 volunteers globally within MongoDB. And these are people who 
by and large are more extrovert than, than most because they volunteered for this. They asked their supervisor for permission and they spend at least two to three hours a week being the spokesperson for their department or their group or even their business unit in some cases for security. And so they're the person that their team members are going to go to and say, hey, I've just did this really weird email. I don't think I should click in this link. What do you think? And they'll go to their security champion who is, they will advertise that they are the security champion for their group. They've got t-shirts, they've got swag, we teach them, we train them, we even do hackathons and movie nights and everything. It's a big thing here. And the security champions are in effect, the spokesperson within the company. It's, it's an embedded spokesperson for security, if you like. And the security champions will come back to us with some brilliant ideas. They'll come back to us with phishing ideas. This is how you're going to get more people to click on links so that we can take them to training. And this is what the training should look like so that it's not boring. And I think we've almost got to the point now, luckily, and I'm very grateful for this, that most of the employees at MongoDB are aware of the Champions program. We've got people signing up all the time. They love it. But also, they know that they, being the, the collective employees of MongoDB, know that the security team will listen to them. We're not dictating to them. We're not interrogating people. We're not the security team that says no. We're the team that says yes, but here's the risks. Do you want to accept that risk? And here's the risk to the company. And so I think that's important. It's always important to be listened to. Most definitely. And you, you raise another interesting point around dictating. Where do you, and I've definitely been in those positions before, where do you think this dictating business sort of stem from? Who, like, I do hear exactly what you're saying, <laughs> but I don't know if I get this, I've experienced this from other departments. It just seems to be security. I'm curious to know why. I think because and this is from the olden days, maybe in the olden days when it was things like, I don't know, I'm going back to 97, 96, when we had the I love you virus and people were spreading viruses through sneaker net, through using floppy disks, really showing my age here now. It was just, we were in, people were incredulous that these bad things could happen to your computer. And we had no idea how to stop it other than just telling people, Stop what you're doing. Just stop it. Because there weren't that many tools to help people. Endpoint security was not yet, not a real thing. If there was any endpoint security, it was so slow that the first thing people did was to uninstall it because we didn't have that, that kind of panacea of trust within our systems that we were building now. And I think it was just, it was easier for people just to say, no, you can't do that. Nope, you can't download that software. Nope, you can't get through the firewall to watch movies. It was just easier because there was so much going on and there was just this fire hose of bad stuff coming towards us. I think now that we've got some tool sets that we trust and especially within MongoDB, we've got this Multi Champions program. And also I'm very much a, a leader that I walk the walk and talk the talk as they say over here. I insist that my team listen before we make decisions. It's not just a knee jerk. And we've now got the amazing situation where we have our developer community, which is who we're aimed at. We have our developers coming to us, the security team saying, hey, we'd really like to use this tool. Can you work with us so that we can work through the risk? Whereas probably 
four or five years ago within most companies. People would just download what they wanted to do to get their job done generally. It wasn't anything nefarious. But they wouldn't even have thought to ask the security team for help. It would just be like, they're just going to say no, so we'll just go around them. Whereas I've got a team in place that really listens to what our developer group want, what our customers want. And we're very transparent. We're very open and we share as much information as we can. And if we can't do something, we will try and find a way that, that we can accommodate the request another way. And if we really genuinely can't, we've had issues like that before where we're just not appropriate for our environment. We will say, this is why we can't support this. But have you looked at something else and let us help you? Do you think as well, Lena, I've been in positions before where I definitely hear what you're saying, that people just say no, or it becomes like security team is the police. It does become quite awkward in that situation. But I've always found myself in roles, one role in particular, I was in a pen test team and I just became a pen test engagement lead simply to smooth out how I say things. Do you think just by accident, just people's delivery is just off? For example, I remember I took a pen tester out to a meeting. I was like, hey, it's how you frame things. It was a little bit, a little bit abrasive, a bit harsh. Like maybe if you position it like this, you'll get a better outcome. He was like, I just had no idea that. I was coming across like that. So thanks so much for letting me know. So do you think that maybe people's intentions are right, but the delivery is a little bit off, which of course gets people on their back foot? Yeah. And I think as well, and it's very much a cultural thing. It's funny, I was over in Iceland some weeks ago. We used a company over there for our pen testing. And it was fascinating hearing a country of 300,000 people where trust is massive just inherently trust each other. And to hear that, that just their view on life was so different to other countries where, you know, the, out the gate it's just mistrust and distrust. And I think culturally we're definitely moving towards, hopefully moving towards more trust of the security team because my team is genuinely trying to do the best thing for the company and also for the employees. And we help, I think we help with that by giving people training. First of all, we have a very robust training program. So people are very well aware of here's all the bad things that can happen if you download software that you're not meant to download. And we're not saying no just for the sake of it or to be lazy. Here's some examples of software that's been downloaded and this is what happened. And I think Again, getting back to people want to be heard and people want to be listened to. Some of the best ideas for security I've had from people who don't work in security and who couldn't string a sentence together when it came to trying to be coherent in their ask. But they knew what they wanted and they were able to eventually get out what they wanted by drawing it on a whiteboard and explaining it to me step by step. And we actually ended up building a small application around that idea. And within MongoDB, twice a year, we have one week, and it's called Skunk Works, where developers and my team and anybody in the company basically can have a week away from their usual duties. Again, supervisor permission needed. But some of the most interesting security projects I've worked on have been in these Skunk Work weeks where we've brought people together who are super hardcore technical, who you probably wouldn't want them on an engagement with a, a customer, again, just because of their sometimes lack of awareness, but more just a lack of 
how to deal with certain people in certain circumstances. And again, giving those people free reign has given us the opportunity to delve into brains that we wouldn't have had a chance to deal with otherwise. Yeah, you're so true. People's yeah, you're absolutely right. That's why I was in, in those roles because they're like, you're better at handling people than we are, so you better go forward. So they're like, I just want to be in the back. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, you were the translator, basically. You were the, the translator. And that's what we have. That's what our security champions are. They are, they are our translators, basically, between what the business sometimes needs, what they want, and what my team can give. And so it's, it's so much easier having that trusted person embedded in, in the group rather than me trying to work out what a, a department wants. They know what they want. They just need to tell me. Yeah, absolutely true. Because I think that, believe it or not, I mean, you've only just met me, but you probably think I'm a massive extrovert as per most people do, but I'm actually an ambivert. So I can go out there, I can get in a room, I can speak to whoever. If I'm at a wedding and I speak to someone, I can speak to whoever. But then it's like, at the end of the day, I just don't want to speak to anyone anymore because <laughs> I speak to people all day. But I think that I've just learned over the years how to, how to handle different people. I've had a range of different roles, which I guess have shaped all of those conversations. And knowing that you would do attract more with honey than you do with vinegar, that old saying. Yeah. So I think I've always led with that and I've led with empathy of I wonder how this person will feel if I say something like that. But again, you absolutely are right. It just comes down to yeah, some people are better at handling people than others and it's not easy. So I really appreciate you sharing some of your thoughts and your insights on that because, again, it's not something that we can just flick on a switch and people are excellent at handling human beings. I yep. want to move perhaps more towards getting your thoughts, Lena, on how to manage the development of security programs. And I ask this question because, again, going back to in theory, it sounds easy, like here's our strategy, here's our plan. As things pop up that we didn't plan for, we don't have contingencies for, things get in the way or you've got executive on your back saying, Lena, we need to do this. So how do you sort of handle that when you know things do pop up? And it's then very easy for managing a security program to just slide down the to-do list. Do you have any sort of advice on how to keep people on target? So one of the things that I've been struggling with as MongoDB grows, so I joined, there was about 850 employees. We now have nearly 5,000 and that's in three and a half years. And that level of growth is just meteoric and it brings with it a whole slew of things that, that we're having to get on top of a more prescriptive security program in certain cases. We're having to come up to speed with a whole ton of regulatory back and forth, depending on the country that we want to do business with. So there's a whole bunch of these to-dos that are happening in quick succession. And having a really strong team around me has just been absolutely priceless. I have a deputy CISO. His name is Chris Sandalo, and he's just an absolute genius at this stuff. He does 99% of the day-to-day running of the team. He's definitely my diplomat. I sent him in to deal with some of our more challenging problems. And he's also extremely technical. And then I'm more the kind of outward-facing, dealing with the board, involved in regulation. I still work with the American government. And I think it's important that we are able to work very closely together but he is also that person that's got definitely got that diplomatic slant. And just in terms of developing the security program and getting these to-do lists done, it's absolutely imperative that you have that strong team around you. 
And you don't need things, you don't need to be too bureaucratic. And our CEO is very much against bureaucracy for the sake of it, as I hope most companies should be. And so we live and die by our JIRA tickets. We have regular stand-ups, regular tailgate meetings as to what's slipping. So red, amber, green, showing very clearly the status of projects. And we share, we've got dashboards that we share with other groups as well so they can see where we are and where they are, where there's interdependencies and things. So communication is key at the end of the day. If you're not talking to people, things are going to slip. Making sure that you have time to discuss your projects, where you are with them, what's slipping, but also having the freedom, which is probably more important in some cases, the freedom to look, put your head up above the parapet and say, okay, what's coming down next? Let's try and get ahead of this. You know, one of the things that happened here last May was an executive order from President Biden about cybersecurity. And a lot of companies looked at it and said, meh, it's just something else from the government. And I basically took the order deconstructed it and made a to-do list of all the things that we could do that could help benefit the company and the government. And we're now working with the government on some of these initiatives. I think staying on target is important, but also making sure that you're aware of new targets is probably more important. Otherwise, how are you going to grow your business? How are you going to expand? So just focusing on your role for a moment, you mentioned, you've talked about your deputy sizer, which does all the day-to-day operations and everything like that and your role is more compliance, handling the board. What would you say is your biggest challenge with handling a board? Answering the amazing questions they come up with. We have extremely technical people on our board. Our chairman of the board is Tom Curley. He is previous CISO at Amazon. We've got Dwight Merriman, who is co-founder of MongoDB. So the questions I get asked from the board are very specific around security, which is perfect for me. I love it. But we took it one step further. And instead of just getting a small amount of time at our quarterly board meeting, we actually do an off-cadence quarterly meeting just on security. So we have the chairman of the board and five or six other members of our board that we meet with once a quarter for at least an hour. And there's a lot of prep work goes into this. All we talk about is security for that hour, which is almost unheard of at that level. For a board to be willing to give up its time off cadence to meet with me just to talk about security is pretty amazing. And I think it just shows the amount of time and money and expertise that MongoDB is definitely investing in security and compliance. So, Lena, would you say it's more of a challenge to handle a board with the technical capability, like you just explained, for example, or would you say it's more of a challenge to handle a board that perhaps aren't technical at all? Ah, that's a brilliant question. I've never been asked that before. Having dealt with both, I would say it is actually easier handling the board that has technical information and knowledge because I can impart so much more information so much more quickly. Whereas when I'm talking to the traditional board, which was lawyers and financiers, having to, and I hate to use this term, but dumb down my presentation really missed a lot of the nuance that I was trying to, the information that I was trying to impart, a lot of that was lost. Whereas with this specific security meeting that we have, 
we can do deep dives into things that are really important to me. And I also use the board. It's a two-way street. They ask me questions. I ask them questions. They're on boards of other companies. So I can say, what are other boards doing about cybersecurity insurance, for example? And I'll get insight into these other companies that I wouldn't have otherwise. So it's a real opportunity for me and we don't waste a minute of that meeting. It's fantastic. It's really good. So it's probably more a case of you're on the same page from the get-go by having a technical board due to your background. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. And they'll raise things. They'll bring things to me that I haven't even thought of. They're talking to other CISOs in some cases. I know those CISOs and others I don't. They could hear something that so-and-so is working on that really helped them. I'll give you an example. One of, one of our board members recommended a small company that was based out of Ireland who did no, co- no code for security teams. And it sounded a bit, a bit, that's a bit of a cliche, it's a bit of a hook. Okay, let's talk to them. Turns out these guys are geniuses and we now use that particular tool which automates a lot of our processes internally, which has saved us time, money, and probably some headcount. So one conversation has allowed me to move my security program forward by leaps and bounds. And that in itself is just pride. So Lena, I'd like to close the conversation with perhaps getting some of your final thoughts or advice for CISOs who don't currently have a cybersecurity program in place. What would you like to impart at our audience today? So the first thing would be have an awareness of what you're trying to protect. It has been quite eye-opening to me when I talk to some CISOs. When I try, when I say to them, what is it you're trying to protect? What's it your job to protect? And I'll get a half hour answer and it's, tell me in one word, what are you trying to protect? And when you try and focus it that way, it's like, oh, okay, it's this or it's that or it's the next thing. And then so my next question to them is, and does your security program reflect that? And you see this kind of look of, yeah, maybe not. So I'd say to anyone who doesn't have a kind of formal program in place, have an idea of what you're trying to protect. And if you're not sure, ask. Ask your leadership. Ask your C-suite. Ask, ask your boss. You know, what, what do they want you to protect? And then start to structure your program around that. And if you're looking for an easy framework to implement that's also free, the NIST cybersecurity framework is used globally. It's not just in America. And there's other frameworks, there's other standards. ISO 27001 comes to mind. That's, that's, we have that too. A lot of our members expect us to have that. But in terms of an easy, free, quick to introduce type thing, I would look at the NIST CSF. Especially nowadays, budgets are getting tight. The global economic situation is not that rosy. And so it's going to be harder for people to go in and justify these dollars. There's so much free stuff out there. There's so much information out there. And of course, podcasts and websites like yours are super helpful too. Just the amount of information that I gleaned from your website alone on the breaches that have been happening in Australia was eye-opening because, you know, my, my focus just now is very much on the US and our bigger markets. and. We're definitely, I hope to actually come to Australia next year. So it'll be lovely to meet up in person and just talk about some of these topics face to face. Because I think having the depth of knowledge that I have, I just think it's important to impart this wisdom as far afield as I can. 
Yeah, no, that'd be excellent. Love to meet you in person. I think that you've made very tangible actions for people that are perhaps a little bit overwhelmed, not sure where to start Mm -hmm. and to take away from our interview today. So thank you, Lena. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being honest about sharing your thoughts and opinions too, because I know it's not easy to get up here. As you said, you're an introvert to share some of your knowledge. So I really appreciate that. And thanks for coming on the show. Oh, no, these have been fantastic questions. I love your clarity of message. It really is refreshing. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. This podcast is brought to you by MercSec, the specialists in security, search and recruitment solutions. Visit MercSec.com to connect today. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.